Our scripture reading this morning is Acts 22, Acts 22, verses 12 through 16. We have been in the evenings working through the Heidelberg Catechism, and in God's providence are at Lord's Day 26 on baptism. So we will also be uh, reading Lord's Day 26. It can be found in your forms and prayers book on page 228. Before reading from Acts 22, 12 through 16, let's ask for God's blessing. Lord God, as we come before you and are ready to hear your word, we pray, prepare our hearts. May we be impressed by who you are. May we be encouraged by what you've given to us. And may what the central aspect of what we see today be our love for you in response to your love for us. May we see and understand your compassion and your grace. Your very attributes come to life even in this sacrament. We ask this in your great name. Amen. In Acts 22, Paul is recounting his conversion, recounting his life. He's giving really his testimony. And in these verses, he talks and mentions his baptism, so our focus will be verse 16, but we'll be reading verses 12 through 16. So Paul is speaking and says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there, came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Reread verse 16. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And also read Lord's Day 26. How does holy baptism remind and assure you that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross benefits you personally? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it promised that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and his spirit wash away my soul's impurity, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means that God, by grace, has forgiven our sins because of Christ's blood, poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with Christ's spirit means that the Holy Spirit has renewed and sanctified us to be members of Christ so that more and more we die to sin and live holy and blameless lives. Where does Christ promise that we are washed with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated when Scripture calls baptism 
the washing of regeneration, and the washing away of sins. People of God, perhaps you have wrestled with one of the following questions, one of the following questions even of doubt. Perhaps you've thought, I'm in a terrible trial, and I've questioned God in ways I never thought I would. My heart expresses doubt about him in ways that scare me. And so these questions consist of our doubt in God himself. Maybe you've had questions or thought to yourself, I'm in a terrible backslide. I keep sinning and sinning and there seems to be no way out. I feel unclean. I know I'm unworthy. And I just don't know if the gospel is there and can be true for me. Such a sinner. And this is a doubt of your salvation. A doubt that you can find it in God when you see your own sins. Can the gospel truly cleanse? Can Jesus' blood wash away just how bad we are? Perhaps you've struggled with a a different question. I'm struggling to know if I belong to the church. It seems that I'm so different. It seems as if all my experiences are not ones that others share. It seems as if I don't belong. How do I know that I'm one of the body? How do I know I'm part of the covenant community when there seems to be a difference between me and them? This is doubting that you belong to the church, doubting that you can be part of that covenant community. All of these really, in essence, amount to, does God care for me? Does God care for me? What's so great about the question and answer, and that's, that keys us into this truth, is the personal assurance that comes to baptism. You see, beyond simply asking, what does baptism mean, which we will talk about today, we ask the question, what does it mean to me, or what does it mean to you personally? Was this just something we do, or does this have meaning? Can it be used? Can it be used to answer such questions of doubt that we face daily? Can, can we even use something that we may not remember been, having been done to us? The most common form of baptism we see in our churches is of what we've just witnessed, an, an infant baptism. Joanna does not remember she won't remember that the sign was placed upon her. So, so in her case, and I would guess in most of our cases, what does baptism mean? How can we be assured? Baptism speaks to all these questions and God, and this is really what I want us to see today. The beauty of God in the beauty of baptism. The beauty of God and what he's given to his people. Sacraments, as we began to discuss last week, are amazing and mysterious. They convey so much that we couldn't begin to fully comprehend them. And we can't begin to comprehend the love of God that is exhibited in these signs and seals he gives to us, and even in baptism itself. One pastor described it well, trying to to show what the significance of sacraments or even baptism is like in one service in a half hour's time is like trying to take a tablespoon to the Great Lakes and and empty them in a half hour time. Just take your little spoon and, and bring your bucket and try to see how much you can scoop in in a half hour. Would you have exhausted or or emptied the Great Lakes of their content? Of course not. 
And yet, that's what we do here today. We try to understand, in part, the love of God and his promises, his faithfulness given to his people in such a sign. Why are the sacraments so deep? It's because they're a a, a significant point of God's word, or they signify God's word, they proclaim God's word to us. So I would say it in a qualified sense that, that sacraments are as deep as God's word is because they present the same word, the same gospel, the same truths. They depict it in this way. They, they make it as clear as they can. They make it as simple so that even you boys and girls can see it and understand that water washes away dirt. Jesus washes away sins. And yet they convey a depth that the most gifted minds that we possess would, would struggle to even comprehend in union with God and Christ that we receive through the sacrament itself. Today we have witnessed that sign in God's providence and are brought then to this question and answer into this Lord's Day. How do we see the love of God in it and how do we use our baptism? First, we need to understand that baptism is a gift of God. A gift of God that he is giving to us and not what we are giving to him. We don't wrap up our children and present them as a gift to God in that way as if it's all on us. Rather, we prepare our children and we we dress them up to go receive a gift from God. To go present them to their Heavenly Father. To receive promises and His own name to stake His claim upon us and our children that they would have a seal placed on their heads, authenticating that this sign is real and true, that we belong to him, that we are his people, that he is our God. We'll never begin to grasp the depth and truth of what baptism is until we see that it's all of God to us. Now, that doesn't mean there's not an element of our own faith involved. There's the element of the parents' faith in, the, in baptism as they're bringing their kids. There's an, elephant, there's an element, not an elephant, don't, don't go that way. There's an element of faith when a believer comes Obviously, they would not receive that baptism if they did not have that faith as an adult. And yet, we we too often think that, that this is our profession. Again, there's a profession element, but this isn't all that we bring to God. This is God giving gifts to us. And that's what's amazing about it, because it comes, it stems from Jesus' love, from God's love to his people. And what does that mean to us to us all and to our children. Let me ask you this question, and this question is is a tough one, and there's really two answers to it. If someone was to tell you, do you need to evangelize your children, how would you answer that question? Well, I say there's two answers because there's, there's certainly an appropriate way of saying, yes, absolutely, you need to evangelize your children in the sense that you need to teach them God's word. That's part of the oaths that we take, that you will raise them in the fear of the Lord, that, that they need to have the gospel proclaimed to them, that they do need to respond in faith to the promises given. And in that sense, yes, we absolutely evangelize our children. But there's also a negative way. There's a way in which that's not true because evangelism, we 
tend to think of more in the sense of this is given to those who have no relationship with God, who have no knowledge of God, who have no of none of the promises of God. And so a better way than to say, do you need to evangelize your kids in that sense, is rather to say, no, they need to be instructed with what they've been brought into by God's grace. They need to be raised to respond to the promises God gave to them, even as we've witnessed here and what was placed to us. And in that sense, they're visibly part of the covenant community. They do belong in that way. And what it's incumbent upon them, there's a stress upon us all and to our children to respond to what's and should be true of them. And so in that way, they, they are a part. They are brought into the covenant community. They are, they are those to be raised in the fear of the Lord. Yes, only to be received in faith. Yes, needing that instruction. But the instruction comes in a different way. The instruction comes when we can tell our kids, your father says to do this. Your father says to respond in faith. Your God tells you to keep his word because he is their God. He has, in that way, given them that sign. What a beautiful sign and expression given to the people. What a beautiful sign given to us. And this sign conveys grace, yes, only to be received truly in faith. The Holy Spirit operates in baptism either before, during, or after our baptism, we do receive, the elect do receive, exactly what's given in baptism. It isn't empty. God doesn't just say, hey, this is a nice ceremony to do. The gifts are presented there to be received through the Spirit and in faith. Now we know that it can only be received in faith, and we know as well that not all do respond, not all do grow in their fear of the Lord. Not all have placed their faith in him. As one commentator says, the sacrament offers no assurance apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no assurance to be gained there if this sign is to be neglected or rejected. There is no assurance there. In fact, such a life that would not respond to promises given to them is one of covenant rejection and to be a covenant breaker. Yes, that is the case. In the Old Covenant, for example, both Jacob and Esau received the sign of circumcision. They both were in that sense brought into the covenant, but God loved Jacob and hated Esau. And so one not only received the sign, they they received as well what it signified. Just as today, not all receive what is fully revealed in the sign itself, even if they receive that external sign. How does baptism then provide assurance? And that's our our first point today. How does baptism provide assurance? To each of those questions with which we began, they're begging to hear this sacrament. They're begging to hear this answer. When trials overwhelm us, when you doubt, when you look to know that God is with you, that he will not forsake you, where do you turn? Well, you can turn and remember your baptism. As a congregation, though we are not rebaptized every time we see one of our own brought in with baptism, we do participate in it in this way. We are reminded of what's true of us. We are reminded of the gifts given to us that, re- that we retain that were given to us in that baptism. 
And when you question, can God really care for me? Does he care for me? Remember that it was no accident that you were brought to a baptismal font and water signifying the cleansing blood of Christ himself was placed on your head and you were baptized not just in the name of, but into the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God didn't go, oops, that one wasn't supposed to receive that sign. It was given to you. You don't doubt the gift given to you when your parent places it in your hand and your name's affixed to it. Can we really know that God has given these gifts, these gospel gifts to us? Yes, because he did it. That's the point. It was given to you and to you personally. The sign was placed on your own head. And so when you face those doubts, can it be real? Or you say, Pastor, but what of my sins? How can I be cleansed or forgiven? Maybe I need to be baptized again. Because I'm so bad. Do, do we think God didn't know what we would do? Does the Psalm 139 not say that the days of our lives are, are before us, that God knows every one of them before we were born, when we were in our mother's womb, God knows them all? Do we doubt Christ's blood is potent enough, cleansing enough to forgive us of our sins and to take away our guilt? There need be and is only one true baptism. That's what we receive. And we trust in him and him alone. We trust in signs and gifts given to us that we had no claim upon in ourselves. That we weren't good enough to receive and good enough to do all of grace. That's what's depicted here. Joanna is brought... And she is completely helpless. And this is also true, by the way, of an adult who would receive this sign, though it's accompanied by their own faith. We are brought to a cleansing font, and we are helpless. We cannot cleanse ourselves. There is no strength within us to do that, and God, by his grace, does it for us. It's a sign, then, of justification in Christ and him alone. That's what baptism shows. That's what circumcision showed. That's what Abraham had received. He received a sign, and he received it by faith, and it was a mark that all this was given to him by faith and not his works. Just as baptism is the same for us. The sign part of this element shows the, the very the very center of what we mean here, boys and girls, when you go play, when you go outside, you're likely very willing to get dirty. Well, some of us are. Some of us aren't. But you're likely to, to get dirty while playing, to get smelly and grimy. And why are you willing to do that? Even if you don't like baths or showers, I'm guessing you're okay with digging in the mud and probably eating things you shouldn't and doing all of that stuff. Because you know, even if it's against your will, your parents are going to wash you. 
And you, you know that that water is going to clean you. And even as adults, we know the same. We're willing to work on cars. We're willing to go work in the field. We're willing to get smelly and grimy and dirty as well because we trust that the water will cleanse. We have greater faith in the water to cleanse than the dirt to cling. And that's why we go out and do these things. Well, water is used in this sign to depict as well that just as water washes away the grime and dirt of our bodies, so does Jesus' blood wash away our sins, that the blood of Christ is more potent to cleanse than our sins to cling. So simple, isn't it? So simple a sign to use everyday matters, as, as simple as washing your hands, and you're scrubbing away the dirt, and eventually the dirt yields and is cleansed and cleaned away, so too with the blood of Christ, so offered in this sign that we receive in faith in him. Baptism cleanses us, truly. It's through that and the promises given, and through that faith, we are brought to the blood of Christ. That's that visible sign. And as we talked about last week, when our faith connects to that visible sign, there's that sacramental union and joining where we not only have just received an earthly physical sign, but the spiritual reality as well. Cleansing in Christ himself. And that's why it's so personal. The sacrament doesn't convey what the Word of God does not. This, everything conveyed in God's Word is what the sacrament does give to us. It's not a new gospel. It's not a different gospel. It's the same gospel that we, we read on every page of God's Word depicted for us. But, but if it's not absolutely necessary, why? Why do you give gifts to your children? Are gifts absolutely necessary? Is it not enough for you just to give clothing and food and shelter and instruction? Why something additional, something that they don't need? Is it not because you love your children? Is it not because you care for them? And will you not even give to them gifts that would help them? maybe are not necessary, but ones because you love, you will give, and they can use for their benefit. Brothers and sisters, this is no different than what God does for us. The sacrament is given to us not because it's absolutely necessary, not because we have to be saved through that and that alone, not because it's something different than what we have in the gospel. It's because God is our Father and he cares. And he gives us beautiful, wonderful gifts. And he knows that we are weak. And he knows that we will doubt and say, Can I be cleansed? Does God care for me? And so he gives us a gift and he stamps our name on it and he imprints his seal from God himself. It isn't the minister, it isn't me. In fact, we know that, that it's not the righteousness of the, the human vessel that's, that's giving the sign or administering the sign that actually matters. That doesn't matter at all because it's greater than the man. It has nothing to do with the man, but the words and message and the sign itself because it's flowing directly to us from God. 
and you have a beautiful wrapped gift presented to you. The blessing that we all know from baptism, it's that cleansing angle. There's also a judging angle in baptism. There's, there's the idea that that cleansing has now thwarted or saved us from judgment and as well that we've been judged. Waters and that, that water cleansing even depicts a burial, a burial with Christ. And thus we have undergone a judgment and have passed through it. This is Romans 6. I'm going to read several verses from Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified. I'm going to pause there before continuing. In baptism, you're not just judged. You were crucified with him with Christ. You see how you're, you're walking through in the person of Christ himself from where we were as ugly, grimy sinners to where and what we are now as new creatures in Christ who were hung on the tree and on the cross with Christ, who paid a penalty in him, and thus there is no defilement that can cling. So we were buried in these waters of baptism. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, that we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you feel like you have a tablespoon and you're at the the Great Lakes shoveling water into your little, little bucket trying to grasp this, that's exactly what you're doing. Death in Christ, resurrection in him, new life, cleansing in his blood. That's how it assures you. Assures you because God gave it and he gave it in Christ. And you stand as heirs to receive it. You stand to know even in your doubt that if I cling to him in faith, that sign truly gave to me exactly what it promised. I am one with the Lord. No amount of my grime can withstand the blood of Christ. It's been crucified and taken away. What does baptism mean then? We've already been talking to it, talking about its meaning, but this is our second point. What does it mean then? Last, we were, in our previous point, more focused on that personal element, but but what what does it mean? Here we might get a bit confused. 
As we speak of being cleansed in Christ's blood, and in our minds that doesn't really make sense. You can't think of blood being put on you and then think of being clean. You would think that made me more dirty than dirt, wouldn't it? That's kind of the just the way it's depicted in our own understanding. And we won't grasp the cleansing of the blood of Christ. We won't grasp what it means to be baptized and cleansed in blood if we divorce it from the Old Testament. If we divorce it from what we said earlier in the service, in the reading of the law, that, that what does the law do? It condemns, but it's a sacrifice that atones. You see, the, the baptism in Christ's blood and what's depicted even in the water of baptism is the cleansing of a sacrifice. There was no substance more holy, more cleansing in the Old Testament than the blood of an innocent victim, of an innocent lamb. Every aspect of the temple and tabernacle was cleansed with sprinkled blood. Every year and every day even, the nation of Israel would offer sacrifices so that they would have depicted before them an answer to the law that they couldn't keep. And that answer was blood that atoned. That's the cleansing we see in baptism. It's it's purer than water. It's the blood of an innocent victim, a perfect victim given to us, and in that we are cleansed. In that we are priests that have sprinkled the blood of the great high priest on us. In fact, we have, as God's word says, the blood of a better, a greater mediator that speaks a better word, and this is in Hebrews 12, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Why does the author of Hebrews say that? Abel was the first murdered victim, the first one in God's word accounted as murdered by by a seed of the serpent. And one who was cursed and rejected by God took the life of one who was dear to God. And what did that blood do? It seeped into the ground and it demanded redress, it demanded justice. The blood cried from the ground and demanded some payment and penalty. Jesus' blood seeps into the ground at the cross and answers the blood of Abel because his blood doesn't demand justice. It demands or gives satisfaction. It's a greater blood. It does something that the blood of Abel couldn't do. The blood of Abel was needing justice. The blood of Christ gives us righteousness. That's what's in Baptism, the sprinkled blood of a better mediator, of a better satisfaction, and that's what's declared in these waters of baptism. It's satisfaction. That's what it means to be cleansed in the blood of Christ, but there's more. You see that in the Catechism. Means that God, by His grace, has forgiven our sins because of Christ's blood poured out for us on the cross, but then it says to be washed with Christ's Spirit means that the Holy Spirit has renewed and sanctified us to be members of Christ so that more and more we die to sin and live holy and blameless lives. What flows from the waters of baptism is not simply that cleansing, it's that union with God, it's that sanctification. It's the fruit, brothers and sisters, of your baptism. It's baptism's fruit played out in your own life. It's sanctification. It's the Spirit's operation in you that that more and more you would live a godly life. That's the very idea of what we'd call improving upon your baptism. 
And what do we mean by that? We mean that what's true of us would blossom and grow, and that gift that God gave to us in our baptism would see day by day an increase in the amount of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit that flows from it. That we would remember it when we think to ourselves of some sin that we would desire to do, we would think we are baptized, we are washed, we do not belong there. We do something else. We do obedience. It sets us apart. It renews us. It gives to us special status. And that's a step that we all take. We get this confused as well. We think that it's profession of faith that makes us a member of the church, but that's not true. Profession of faith is what the church does to, to understand and signify who mature believers are, who are those who have responded to their baptism, who've responded to their membership, and now can partake of the Lord's Supper, now are the mature believer. It's baptism, though, that brings you into the people of God. You are a member by, by a result of that. And so you're given demands and obligations, and, and we would say graciously so. Place upon you was a call to respond, a call to, to bring faith and live out that faith. What a greater blessing can be given to sinners than that we would have that placed upon us, turned to the only way of salvation. It's been given, it's offered to you, it's been placed on your head, it's sealed there. Grow in that faith. That's what we see through the Spirit as well. So, what does baptism mean? Baptism points to our initiation in the covenant community. And if you doubt and think, can I truly belong? I'm so different, or I'm so sinful. Can I really be part of the covenant community? I would say it in this way. You who are baptized have no choice. You're there. You're in the covenant community in the sense you're visibly a part of it. But by faith, you never doubt. It's yours. You belong. God has given it to you. That's what baptism means. It's initiation, entrance into the covenant. Baptism also signifies and seals our cleansing, which we've talked about by the means of the blood of Christ. Baptism also signifies and seals our righteousness that's credited to us. That mark of how we are made right with God. And it isn't by a heap of sacrifices that we bring. It's by the waters of Christ, the cleansing blood of him. Baptism signifies and seals in its most important sense our union with Christ. And we see that in Romans 6, what we read from earlier. We're one with Christ in baptism. Baptism is that clear sign. Though many, in fact most of us, can't remember our baptism, know that it was placed upon you Know that from your earliest days, you were not absent or apart and separate from the covenant community of God. What a gracious God that does this for his people and their children. Know that in faith, you must receive all that God promises because the sign is not empty. It's a blessing to have a conversion story later in life. It's a blessing to be able to witness and remember that baptism, to see in that sense your, and remember that old man put to death and the coming to life of the new as an adult. That's a blessing, but 
The same is conveyed to those who are baptized as infants or young people. It's the same meaning, and it's an equal blessing to to be brought up and to never know a day outside of it. To not have some, as we might think, dramatic conversion story, but rather have the fruit of baptism always in your life. What a blessing that God gives to his people. Our personal assurance in baptism is the promise of God that the outward washing of baptism visibly shows and internally assures us that we are forgiven in Christ's blood, that we are spiritual members with him. Baptism is nothing outside of a loving act of a loving God faithfully giving promises to his people. In him be praise. Amen. Our great and awesome, our gracious Father in heaven, we see that in a sign that you give to us, a compassionate and gracious gift, that we're washed and cleansed. We're washed and cleansed only in Christ's blood and only through faith, but for your elect and for your people, that's exactly what they receive in this sign so given. Lord, we ask that we would improve upon and remember our baptism, that we would be strengthened from all doubt to know that just as Paul was, what, what's keeping us from being baptized with faith and repentance is the sign that's accompanied and given that we would not doubt, that we would only ever know we're crucified in Christ and we live in him. Amen.